Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Gateway to the Smokies. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smokies Mountains National Park and the surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, and rich mountain culture that we will explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, man of the world, but also with deep roots, roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smokies for over 200 years. My business is in travel, but my heart is in culture. Now today, we're talking about pottery in the Smoky Mountains with a very well-known pottery artist. artist. But um, first, let's talk a little bit about crafts in the mountains. When I was uh, growing up, crafts are, were an important part of Smoky Mountain living. Now, I remember um, I, well, one, one of the things we, everybody, I think, did, and I don't know if this happened all over the States, but it happened in the mountains. We all had to learn how to make pottery in, in grade school. Uh, and uh, I always came home with these wild interpretations of candle holders and ashtray. I sort of reinvented the definition of what they were. Uh, my brothers and sisters would uh, be more... Uh, be more, um, you know, uh, originalist in their intent and came back with stuff that was functional. Mine wasn't done, but I am the one that still has some of my, my original artwork in the pottery space. Uh, I think theirs all disappeared over time. I also remember making uh, dolls out of corn shucks. Now, that's a pretty big, uh, that's a pretty big craft in the mountains as well as uh, I also made little mice people out, out of marbles with gluing them together and making little felt clothing and and I remember painting on saw blades. So there's a there's a there's a whole lot of um, tradition uh, of, of craft type activities in the mountains, and it's a part of the fabric of life. From quilt making to chainsaw sculptures, you can't drive a mile without seeing some crafts. Um, but and there is this long history. But you know, there was a time when the crafts were dying out because of poverty. Uh, and then in 1890, a Presbyterian missionary named Frances L. Goodrich arrived in Western North Carolina near Asheville. And she um, and a lot of the traditional crafts like weaving and spinning and blacksmithing were, were, not, were, not, were not doing too well because it was an impoverished area. But she got this, um, this coverlet that was woven in what was called a double bow knot pattern with a golden brown on a cream colored background. And it had been dyed with chestnut oak. And uh, she, it was a revelation to her. She had never really seen anything, you know, coming from, I think, uh, you know, Baltimore or somewhere like that. And it, it really opened her eyes to the craft movement, the crafts of, you know, the craft available in the mountains. And she, so she found that these mountain neighbor women, many of them still had the skills of hand skills of doing this. So she, with their encouragement, um, encouraged them to start weaving coverlets. And then she did, made a Northern market for those crafts. She ended up creating a, 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 um, a craft business that was eventually rolled into the Southern Highland Craft Guild. In when she retired in 1930, she was very much a success, and she retired to Asheville. Um, and she, with a lot of, uh, with several other mountain uh, crafts, leading craftspeople, uh, organized the Southern Highlands uh, Handicraft Guild, which still exists to this day. And it, it was instrumental in launching the Southern Appalachian Handicraft, Handicraft Revival. Um, and it is considered one of the oldest craft guilds in the country, second only the Boston Society of Arts and Cultures. 
And, and participants today are active are active in the education mission of the guild, taking parts in crafts and demonstrations, fairs and special events and things like that. Now for the tourists, they hold a they have a couple of big events each year. They have a heritage weekend in um, in uh, in September, you know, around the the second or third week, weekend in September. And it's traditional music, dancing, heritage storytelling, and lots of heritage craft demonstration. And they have a 30th and they have, this year I think they're having the 30th an, annual We Jaw Haw Wimmy Diddle competition. <laughs> That's a mouthful. A Wimmy Diddle is an Appalachian mountain toy made from two sticks of wood. Notches are carved in one piece and a propeller is attached to the other and rubbing the stick with the propeller against the, no the notch stick makes it G, spin to the right, or haw, turn to the left. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, a fun, it's a fun event to go to and you see a lot of traditional arts and crafts and it's in Nashville, North Carolina, at the Folk Arts Center. Then the, 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 uh, the Southern Craft Guild also holds one of the oldest, uh, since 1948, and largest juried craft fairs uh, and it's a major exposition featuring the latest work of crafts, craftspeople all around the area. And it's at the Asheville Civic Center in October. Um, so please uh, uh, go to craftguild.org to find out more about that. Now, I don't want to only talk about uh, the Smokies also includes Tennessee and Gatlinburg is also a big area for crafts. Um, and it's... Um, and it actually has one of the largest organizations of independent artisans in North America, and it's in Gatlinburg, and it's called the Smoky Mountains Arts and Crafts Community. Uh, and they, um, they, uh, they make lots of beautiful and wonderful crafts that's well known. And it was, in this, it was created in 1937. It seemed the 30s was a big time for creating all these craft guilds and colleges and things. So it was, uh, there was a woodcarver named John Cowden who decided uh, that they didn't just want to sell in the stores in Gatlinburg. They wanted to sell directly to the clients. So he organized the community of craftsmen so people could build visit their studios and things like that. And so it became this thing, this community uh, craft skill. And it's now a big tourist attraction. You can go there. It's year-round. Um, it's just three miles out of Gatlinburg. And it's an eight-mile uh, loop on Route 321, Buckhorn, Glades Road. And there's over 100 shops featuring craft, uh, ranging from elaborate crypts to brooms to handles and pottery and all sorts of stuff. Um, and it's got... Um, and, it, and you can actually see people working on their craft while it's going out. There's also, uh, they also have a, a Gatlinburg art tour and a trolley going through Gatlinburg that will reach, reach a lot of the arts and crafts. So it's the whole area, the whole Smoky Mountains area has a lot of uh, wonderful uh, crafts. And a lot of it features pottery. Uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about for the rest of the show. My guest today is Terrence Painter. He's here with his son, Caden Painter, and he is a member, uh, and Terrence is a member of the Piedmont Craftsman, Craftman, another organization formed in the 30s. <laughs> uh, and he has won many awards and has, and has works and collections all over the world. He has been a full-time potter for more than 38 years. He combines his first love of drawing and painting to execute detailed landscape scenes on clay forms. Caden left his successful IT career in 2018 to apprentice with his father and now has become a successful potter himself. Hello, Terry and Caden. Hey. Hello. How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. So uh, 
So one of the one of the little things that uh, that's uh, that's a, a a real joy for me is that uh, that your studio is located very close to my motel in Maggie Valley, the Metalarg Motel. And what what little piece of trivia here is that your dad actually built the Metalarg Motel, and you, like me, spent our um, our uh, part part of all of our childhood growing up at the Metal Art Motel. How do you like those days? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, it was a great place uh, to grow up. It really was. You know, uh, I met people from uh, from all over the country, and it was a fabulous uh, place to be a kid. Really was. Yeah. All right. Do you? Uh, yeah. What do you remember? Your favorite thing to do in Maggie Valley in those days was. Uh, I couldn't keep my feet out of Jonathan Creek. Uh, oh, really? Know, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Creek, large, large stream, runs right through the backyard of the Metal Art. And uh, gee whiz, I, I spent uh, uh, hours and days and weeks in uh, Jonathan Creek. <laughs> Listen, I used it's to. A, do- it, it, it's it's part of the state trout waters. Uh, yeah. Also, there's a lot of uh, a very active trout fishing there on Jonathan Creek. Yeah, I used to tube in there quite a bit. Yeah, when especially when you had a little bit of rain, oh, yeah. You, yeah, you could go in there to go tubing and everything else. Uh, no, it was, uh, it was, it, you know, it has this huge recreation area, so it was really a, a really great place. So, um, right. When did you get interested in arts and pottery? Well, uh, when I was a kid, uh, uh, I was about twelve years old, and there was a lady, uh, Helen Sivia that had a painting studio uh, just diagonally across the street uh, here. And uh, I started painting with her and I had some success at it. I sold my paintings at the Metal Ark. Yeah. <laughs> at the Metal Ark Motel. And uh, are we still coming through? We've frozen up. We can, we can see you freeze up, but your voice is coming through fine. Yeah. Okay. Go. Okay. All right. And uh, um, my parents, both school teachers as well as motel operators, um, made it clear that career in art was not going to be a possibility for me. And um, they, uh, they sent me off to uh, a well-known school of engineering uh, to try to become an engineer. I was very, very unhappy uh, in that pursuit. Uh, dropped out of college uh, for a semester, and they decided at the end of that that maybe uh, becoming an art major wouldn't be the worst thing that, uh, that happened to their son. So I uh, went to Western Carolina University uh, as a painting and printmaking major. And uh, pottery looked very unappealing to me. Uh, I put it off, put it off. I had to take one required course in pottery. Finally caved in, took that course, and within two weeks felt like uh, this is why I'm here. Wow. Yeah, ironically, my great-great-granddad, Joseph Painter, I'm, I'm Joseph Pinlin, I'm sorry, um, uh, was a potter in Candler. That's about halfway between here and Asheville. Uh, he was a potter there in the late 1800s. Um, his son uh, uh, carried on the pottery up into the 1920s. Uh, they were not artists. They were craftsmen, uh, potters, making strictly functional ware. But my grandmother, uh, who had worked in the pottery as a child, always felt like it was genetic. It was, uh, it, it was in my blood. It just resurfaced after a couple of generations. It went dormant for a while, but, uh, but the love of pottery came back in, in me. So maybe she was right. I don't know. 
<laughs> well, uh, I, I guess that runs in the blood, Caden. How come you decided to become become a potter after having a successful IT career? Well, I uh, I, I grew up here in the pottery studio uh, with my dad, and uh, every summer uh, during school, uh, you know, when school was out in the summer, I would come and work here with him uh, in the studio and uh, and make things with him, and I, I just I had that memory, and uh, I. Uh, I, I went off to uh, study uh, IT and uh, got a master's from uh, an engineering school in project management and thought that that was really going to be uh, my, my pursuit. Uh, but uh, I just always had this kind of nagging feeling. Like I, I missed making things. I had this drive to, to make things and, uh, I, I was I was not getting that uh, that need met in in what I was doing, and so uh, yeah, in 2018, uh, took my dad and my mom out to uh, dinner, and uh, made this proposition uh, <laughs> that <laughs> I become his apprentice, and uh, they all thought I was crazy. <laughs> well, it's it's not really crazy, right? It's a, it's a mountain tradition for. Uh... For sons we, to follow. Listen, we, we, we are having the time of our life. Oh, <laughs> we great. really are. We're having, we're having the best we time working together. Fun yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, when we come back from the break, we'll find out a little bit more about your history as a potter, and then we'll get into the art of it. Okay. Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy, back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast. And my uh, guest, Terrence White, and his white um, look, the Terrence Painter with his son, Caden Painter. Uh, and uh, so, Terrence, you know, g- jumping into the arts is one thing, but deciding to make a full-time career of a potter is another. And how did you decide to do that? Well, I was young and naive and uh <laughs> and uh, uh owned nothing and had no other responsibilities and was able to really dive into it and just devote myself uh heart and soul uh, to yeah. it i i think that's the the real hard part of becoming a successful artist or craftsman is to get past those first three to five years uh, in there, and it's really, really a, a huge, huge challenge. And those things just kind of happened uh, at a time in my life when, when I could uh, uh, accommodate those challenges and, and survive the first three years uh, until the business kind of began to take a, a hold and, uh, and yeah. grow. So you yeah. you uh, you studied at school, and then you came. You, did you study anywhere else, or did you come back to the area? came back to Western, Western Carolina universities where I studied and, uh, and we searched for a good while for a studio space, um, uh, that, uh, that we could move into. And, uh, this place just kind of fell in our, in our lap. When I was Uh growing up, Norval Rogers, he was the principal of Maggie Valley school. 
this was his home, this old log cabin. He built this cabin uh, with his bare hands, you know, back in the 1930s. And it's just been a great studio uh, for us. I was in graduate school because still no one in the family thought that uh, I could make a living doing this. And this building came available to us. Mm-hmm. And I left graduate school, I thought, temporarily uh, to get the business off the ground. Well, that was 1980, and uh, I've been making pots full-time ever since. I never went back yeah. and finished the master's. Uh, I remember, I remember, pots. I remember <laughs> the, I remember the opening of, you, you opening up, and that was like a potter, and, you know, it was like the different, you know, the different yeah. drummer, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you know, Maggie Valley at the time was still a, a very much, a. um, you know, ghost town town, right? It was a, it was a ghost town it was an amusement park right. and it was, you know, families coming in on Moss to go to ghost town. Uh, and that's what it was for. So opening up an art here, studio, huh? I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here, here's the thing though, that, that we, that we have discovered about Maggie Valley in, in this area. Um, we have, uh, uh, so many beautiful, inspiring natural resources right here in our backyard. Of course, there's oh, yeah. the Smoky Mountains National Park. There's the Blue Ridge Parkway is only five miles away. Uh, we're surrounded by um, the Pisgah National Forest. We have the Shining Rock Wilderness Area just right here in our back door. And we literally see people from all over the world on Highway 19, uh, passing by in front of our shop here. So even though it seems like it would be just a ghost town town, a ghost town being a theme park uh, yeah. that was here uh, in Maggie, uh, it really is a lot more than that because of, uh, I think, because of the geographic location where we oh, are. No, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, I think you proved it right. I'm, you know, was, but, you know, superficially, if you'd looked at it, you know, it, it was, you know, it was, there wasn't a lot of art compared to say Waynesville or Silva, you know, or even Asheville there, there you know, there wasn't a lot of art going, going on, you know, at one point my dad, yeah, my dad was mayor, you know, and at one point he tried to, you know, that little motel beside the festival grounds, right. That, that's that been empty for years. He tried to get the, the town to buy that and make it into an artist's community. Right. But that was like a no go. <laughs> Right. So, but there, I think, there, I think there's been people, several attempts at that uh, yeah. to try to get an artist community going here. You know, we were, we were all alone for a long, long time. There really yeah. weren't any other uh, craftsmen to speak of in Haywood County, but that's really changed now. Oh, it's changed. This changed a lot. It, it, you know, people have grown into it in, in the, in the, in the area. So, um, you know, North, I think North Carolina has a reputation of being a pottery state, probably the best pottery state. Why do you think that is? Um, some of it, I guess, is just happenstance. Um, there are three major pottery areas in North Carolina. Uh, there's, of course, Seagrove uh, down in the eastern part of the state, a widely, widely recognized and known pottery center. Um, and then there's the Catawba Valley uh, pottery tradition down around Hickory. And then, of course, there's this uh, Asheville kind of kind of within the, the orbit of Asheville. And I really mean the whole Appalachian range from from Boone to Murphy mm-hmm. uh, has drawn uh, has drawn artists uh, 
uh, from all over the country, they've moved here. Can you tell them some why you think they've come to this well, area? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it, and I have no data necessarily to back this up, but it, it seems to me that we see a lot of uh, artists here uh, because of the the aesthetics mm-hmm. of uh, of the region. That uh, th- there's a lot of um, there's there's a lot of uh, inspirational resource here and and all year long you know whether it's uh, you know that that neon green fresh spring the lush summer of course the colors of fall and uh and then kind of the starkness of winter even when uh you know all the underbrush dies back and you can really see deep into the forest uh, there's just a lot, there's a lot there. Uh, and of course there's, you know, the grand scale of, you know, the long views, uh, you know, the high mountain views, but also on kind of a macro level, uh, there's just a lot, there's a lot of inspiration to pull from. Would you also say that now it's, it's, it's enhanced because you can sell your pottery online. Uh, you don't have to go to, uh, go to places is that is that a benefit is that something that's uh helpful yes i i would say i would say that certainly you know that that's certainly an extra tool uh that helps but uh um you know i i we we sell most everything we can make right out the front door here yeah Uh, oh cool well you're 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 on a highway that gets a million people a year coming by (laughs) (laughs) Uh, not everybody has that sort of thing. <laughs> I, I tell you, uh, something that internet exposure has really done for us, though, it, it draws even more people to us. Right. So uh, we find that when people are, are visiting uh, the Southern Appalachian region, whether they're in Asheville uh, or uh, over in Tennessee or Boone Blowing Rock, uh, they they find us online and they uh-huh. might not have driven by the front door of the shop in the past but uh-huh. now they can they can locate us really really easily and with a couple of clicks their cell phone gives them directions about how to drive straight to our shop so yeah we're well, seeing a big impact and, from that and other you know some other mediums might uh, certainly uh they, they may see a lot more you know business through you know website and of course you know like i said our website's a great tool for us but there's something about pottery that uh, oh, you, know, you, you got to touch it. Yeah, especially your guys' stuff. I've seen it. It's fabulous <laughs> stuff. Now, do you um, is there? Do you get materials from the mountains? Do you get materials to to make any of your work, or is that uh, there, is it too specialized? There, yeah, there really aren't uh, many at all of of commercially mined. Uh, materials uh, in the mountains. Now, you know, there's certainly clay deposits, and the old timers uh, dug their clay locally, obviously. Uh, we do not, um, um, like uh, in our uh, stoneware clays, uh, the fire clay comes from Missouri, the ball clay comes from Kentucky. Uh, we use a kaolin from uh, North Florida. So it it tends to be regional in in that sense. There's kind of a there's kind of an east west uh, divide. Potters who tend to be on the west coast they have their own sources out there. Potters who are on the east coast kind of use clays that are that are mined out this direction. Well, if you had to um, if you had to give 
you know, one statement about what would be characteristic of the pottery in the Smoky Mountains? What would be that characteristic? Well, that's, that's a tough question uh, because we, we are not traditional potters. Uh, even though I have traditional pottery uh, in my family heritage, um, our influences are much, much broader uh, than that. You know, I've, uh, I've studied everything from, uh, and, and I draw a lot of inspiration, not just from pottery, but I've looked at everything from um, uh, Song Dynasty uh, Chinese pottery, porcelain, um, Yi Dynasty Korean uh, bronze castings, uh, I've, I've studied the architectural border uh, patterns in Angkor Wat in Cambodia. You know, uh, I haven't been there personally, but I, but I have uh, collected many, many books and resources on these things. Uh, I've even looked at pre-Columbian uh, South American, uh, very interested in, in architectural motifs. And I look at a lot of my pots architecturally. I feel like it's I feel like it's it's almost like a uh, uh, like a dwelling, like a structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I make it, I'm thinking in those terms of a foundation, of walls, of a crown or uh, uh, or eave uh, of the piece. So yeah, that's just kind of the way I look at it. So my personal inspirations come literally from from all over the world. Now I will tell you the reason that I think. Uh, pottery is so resonant uh, with people is because it is a piece of personal functional art. Most crafts, guilds, craft show organizers, even gallery owners will tell you the two things that make the craft world go around pottery and jewelry. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are always the two biggest uh, uh, sellers, the biggest items at, at your typical craft fair. Both of those are personal art. Uh, it, it's not it's not art that's on a wall somewhere for public viewing. It's art that you use personally. You wear that piece of jewelry. You you hold that mug. You cradle that mug in your hand, and I think that speaks to people on a level uh, that that uh, that's hard to achieve uh, in other art forms. Cool. Well, when we come back, we'll talk more about your specific, the, the, the details of your work uh, you know, and some of the kinds of things that you make. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast with my guests, Terry Painter and his son, Caden Painter, uh, both uh, master craftsmen and potters in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. And they have a, they have a wonderful shop called The Different Drummer, uh, right near my place, the Metal Art Motel in Maggie Valley. Um, so, uh, Terry, why don't you talk about some of the things you make? You got a lot of beautiful things in the background there. What kind of uh, what kind of things do you make? Yeah, we're we're set up uh, in uh, one of our showrooms uh, uh, here at the studio, 
And we, we cover a pretty wide gamut uh, of the things that we make. Uh, I, I do uh, have a love for functional pottery. And so we, we make a lot of straight ahead uh, functional work. Uh, we, uh, we do a lot of dinnerware. There's a whole wall over here covered, uh, with dinner plates and bowls and salad plates. And, um, so that's an important part of, of what we do, but, you know, I backed into this from a fine art, uh, background. So I, I couldn't leave my landscapes, uh, behind, uh, when I left painting behind, I had to find a way to keep expressing, uh, the landscapes. And so we have a series of, uh, of, tile wall hangings and covered jars that uh, that have bas-relief uh, landscapes on them. The landscapes, of course, I'm taking inspiration from uh, the surrounding area, the Smokies, uh, where we are. Almost all of them are tree-oriented, love trees of all kinds. And, you know, we have uh, many, many, many kinds of trees uh, here in the Smokies to draw upon. Um, do you do you draw those do you draw those designs yourself before you put on them, or are you yeah. taking traditional emblems or anything like that? No, no, I, uh, it's all one hundred percent original. Uh, I will start with a pencil drawing, very frequently converted into a pen and ink drawing uh, to flesh out uh, the design, and then uh, uh, we will convert it into a, a bas relief uh, sculpture. Yeah, I'm looking here, and you've many, got many steps. <laughs> What's that? Many steps. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. I I don't know. I like process. You know, I like a, I like a lot of steps to things, and this really this really satisfies that because there's there's many many steps you have to go through uh, to bring one of these pieces off. Yeah, very involved. So I see on your site, you know, I saw I saw things like a cutout tree geo landscape and a hardwood tree inlay landscape. So you're you're you, are you extending your skills into other areas besides just pottery? Yeah, we are. Uh, one of the things I've discovered, you know, I spent most of my career working in solitude uh, here at the shop, and there are advantages to that. Uh, there are disadvantages to it since Kate. Uh, came on board. Um, the collaboration between the, the two of us has uh, created some new uh, directions uh, uh, for us. It's it's really really nice to have another creative person, particularly someone you're on the same wavelength with. Yeah. Here in the studio, and we can bounce ideas off of each other. And uh, uh, we have a line, uh, in particular, a line of drums uh, that we're uh, producing, hand drums. Uh, it's a stoneware base, but uh, we're doing a uh, laminated wood uh, mahogany or birch uh, top to the drums. And then we're taking our pen and ink drawings and using a laser to burn. Uh, so, so we're real 21st century there. We're using a CNC laser to burn uh, our drawings into the wood uh, of the top. This is, this is one right over my shoulder here. So this, this gives you an idea of... Uh, of one of the cotton drums. They're, they're very, and you say you were inspired by some Brazilian uh, drums. You, you made some, right? Yeah. Yeah. You want to tell them about Yeah. We, uh, oh, we've got a visitor here uh, from our dog, Marty. <laughs> she made this skate. Uh, uh, had to come check out what was going on here. Let me go put her back. Yeah. Oh, sorry, a few uh, dogs there. <laughs> we're, 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 yeah, we, we always have to have a, a pottery shop dog. You know, a pottery <laughs> shop is not the same without a, 
with, without a dog. Oh, that's kind of interesting. They're sort of bounding around, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, they uh, uh, we've we've had a series of of dogs here uh, in the shop over the years, and you know, they uh, I don't know, they understand. They work really well around around the pottery, so we don't have any trouble. We, oh, I thought that might be a test. If it can withstand a dog, it can withstand the tourists. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. Okay, you were going to tell about the cajon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we're both musicians, and uh, and we we play a variety of instruments. But of course, uh, one that we've uh, always enjoyed is the cajon, and uh, it's a Brazilian box drum. Uh, the wooden face on it is just—it's uh, a really great tactile experience, and uh, and so that was definitely something that was uh, important to us. We, uh, when we were thinking and planning, you know, how's this going to look? How's it going to feel? What's it going to look like? Uh, we, we uh, I, I, of course, the sound was very important to us, but also the tactile experience was very important as well. We wanted something that uh, that felt good to play, and so uh, uh, the cajon was was uh, uh, right up front, uh, for uh, foremost in our our mind when we were thinking, going, "Oh man, you know, doing a wooden head like that would would be would be really." would be really nice on a, a oh, stone uh, base. Well, it's fabulous. You know, my, um, I was telling your dad, my wife is a Brazilian percussionist. Uh, oh, nice. no she's, uh, she's actually a member of a 70 year, a 70 woman band. Um, it's actually a worldwide band, uh, called Bach, ba- um, uh, I'm wanting to call it ba- Batala. Um, and um, she and she's the one of the elite members, and so there's a ten member group, and she's gotten to do things like, you know, play Brazilian drums on Saturday Night Live, open for the Rolling Stones. Yeah, so we're gonna come by and check out your drums. They look fabulous. Yeah, they look like collectors' items. We also we are also hosting at the Metal Arc a monthly uh, drum circle when it's uh, when it's warm, right? A lot of people coming from Asheville. You might. Uh, you might stop over there. It'd be great. I love these. These look fat. They play. You say they play well, right? Yeah. yeah. We'll have to do that. Yeah. We'll yeah. Have to do that. yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Uh, you know, you never, you don't think of drums being part of pottery, but uh, these are, no, these are. No, you don't. Uh, yeah. let, me, let me throw one thing out there. Of course, the shop is called the different drummer. Yeah, I know that. Uh... Yeah. For the last few years, we've had a lot of people come in the door and see the drums and say, okay, now I see where yeah. the name comes from. No, no, no. The, the name came like 38 years before <laughs> the drums. Uh, the name is philosophical in intent. It comes from uh, the passage by Henry David Thoreau and Walden about yeah. watching the beat of a different drummer. And so back when I was leaving engineering behind and all my high school friends were becoming doctors and lawyers and engineers, and I was becoming a potter. Well, Henry uh, David Thoreau helped me feel a little bit better about the path I was on. So well, that's why the shop is the different drummer. You know, I was I was working a full time job. Was on a fast track at IBM, and I had that experience too. Uh, <laughs> so I, I get it. I just walked out. You know, so yeah, you know, yeah. And started a different path. <laughs> so uh, what you know, what uh, Terrence? What would you say are the major? You know, you've mentioned a bunch of worldwide influence and things. Is there specific people, specific styles that have influenced your pottery? Um, yeah, there was a there was a connection uh, made uh, again. Uh, I guess it was back in the 
1950s and 60s, uh, uh, a potter in England called Bernard Leach uh, made a, a connection with uh, a Japanese uh, potter. And I really don't know the correct pronunciation of his name. Soji Hamada or Hamada, I'm not sure how his name is pronounced, but they t- together kind of revived the crafts or studio pottery movement in England. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Japan as well, post industrialization. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, Post war, uh, yeah, Japan, uh, they helped uh, to revive that tradition there as well. And a lot of people, a lot of Americans uh, apprenticed with uh, Bernard Leach. And um, uh, uh, a professor of one of my professors actually uh, studied in England with Leach. And I, I became very, very influenced uh, by um, the Asian techniques of making pottery. So, so the, the techniques that we employ here uh, are, are not even uh, really mainstream European. They are Asian uh, uh, pottery forming techniques. And it's a little different. It's a little looser, a little more relaxed uh, than, uh, than like the uh, Northern European style of and this is i'm talking about working on a potter's wheel right yeah uh, style of throwing but it lends itself very well to the other organic designs and features uh the the trees and things that we take inspiration from from our surrounding and you know apply uh and incorporate in into the pot that i think those those two approaches go really well together plus uh their the, the asian uh, approach to the potter's wheel, uh, I find to be very uh, musical, uh, and uh, it's very much like playing a musical instrument. Uh, I find it to to be internally kind of the same thing, uh, at least very very similar. Now my hands are doing different things uh, when I'm throwing a pot versus playing a guitar or a drum, but. The the gears that are turning inside your head, uh, I think, are are about the same. Cool. So, yeah. All right. Well, we uh, we got to go to a break. When we come back, we'll finish up with a little bit more about what uh, inspires you, and then how people can find more information and, and find things to look at in pottery in the Carolinas. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast. My guest, Terry, uh, Terry Painter and his son, Caden Painter, of the Different Drummer Pottery in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. So, Terry, you and your wife wrote a book called Centered, Inspiration from the Hands of a Potter. What was the inspiration for that and what's it about? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, uh, uh, I have a, uh, a, a talk that I give uh, a, uh, a spiritual inspirational talk um, that I give with my potter's wheel began this many, many years ago. And uh, I, I, that just kind of grew organically. I, I don't know. I was invited uh, uh, actually to illustrate a, uh, 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 our pastor's message at our church with the potter's wheel 
and one thing led to another. And before long, I was I was illustrating my own uh, talk with the potter's wheel. And people wanted something tangible that they could take away uh, from that. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, my wife uh, had been a professional photographer for many years. And we thought this was something that we could do completely in-house. And she did all the photography uh, uh, for the thing. And uh, we basically, what's funny is when I, I sat down and tried to write out what uh, what I said, I, I'd completely uh, what I said in one of my talks, <laughs> drew a blank. Yeah. So we had to contact some places where I had spoken before and get uh, tapes from. <laughs> it's so different, you know, being in front of an audience, having that feedback, uh, the uh, the atmosphere and everything. It uh, it was all different, and I found out that I, that I, I did it different every time. It was just very off the cuff and spontaneous. So. We kind of tried to take the best of uh, mm-hmm. several talks that I had given and condense it down into a book, and Anita photographed it. And, uh, yeah, it's something that uh, we self-publish. We have copies available here in the shop. So, well, uh, yeah, I found a link. I found a, I found a link, uh, an Amazon link for it on, uh, on Amazon. So uh, I don't yeah, well, know. good. Well, that's good. So I put the link up on our website. So, uh, you know, go, if people want to find get that book, I recommend going to, to the website and getting that link and go and buy that book. Um, All right. All so, right. Uh, so do you find um, there's something spiritual about making pottery in your approach, the way you do it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I certainly meditative, if, uh, uh, if nothing else. We laugh about it a lot because... Um, Often, often I will have people come in the shop and they say, oh, you're so you're so lucky. You know, I just love to make pottery and you get to make pottery every day. It's so and relaxing. It must be so relaxing. <laughs> and, uh, and I always tell them, try paying your mortgage yeah. with little balls of clay <laughs> that you're making things out of and see how relaxing that is. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I will say I've been doing this uh, soon will be 41 years wow. full time. And I still look forward to coming to work uh, every single day. It's the kind of pursuit that I would never uh, stop. It was something I would never retire from yeah. so long as I'm able wow. uh, to keep. Well, that's good. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I was, in, uh, you know, it's interesting to me about how much, you know, practicality and spirituality go into making art. It's always a question. I, I you know, I've, I've done a little art in my in my time, and I'm actually in a museum for some uh, some some work. You know, so in my studies of it, you know, it was funny. I saw a quote. I think it was Henry Matisse's son, who's been to a lot of events with his father. You know, and and things like that. And people asked him once, well, you know, what's it like when all those poets and artists get together? He said, well, you know, the funny thing is when artists and poets get together, all they talk about is money. (laughs) 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 So uh, we talk about art a lot, don't we? we Yeah. Yeah. We we also we've talked a lot about uh, uh, how uh, so much of what we make is what we, we think it's important for. And and this is one of the reasons why we make so many different things is we want to make things that are interesting to us, yeah. And uh, and and per- pursue those ideas and passions. And uh, when 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 something comes along that you lose sleep over, uh, 
<laughs> you, you chase that. Well, it's, uh, yeah, we, I mean, it's, we really have a, sorry, we really have a theory, uh, about, uh, about making things, uh, to sell to other people that if we satisfy ourselves first, if we make work that we genuinely like, mm. that there's a percentage of the population out there that's going to be on the same wavelength, uh, that we're on and that work will speak to them as it speaks to us. So, so we don't go off trying to chase other, uh, uh, other paths. We, uh, we make work that we like and just, uh, it speaks to us. Yeah. It speaks to us. So we have, well, it's a, it's a gift. It's a gift in life to have that happen. So do you, is there besides your place, uh, which is in Maggie Valley and you can, I think you can find out about a different drummer, uh, pottery.com. Right. Um, is there other pottery places you recommend people to visit in the mountains? A couple, you know, two or three. We only have a couple of minutes, but yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Mud Dabbers uh, over uh, at, at Balsam Gap. They're on the other side of uh, the Balsam Range from my shop. Uh-huh. Uh, Mud Dabbers definitely worth uh, checking out. Uh, and then um, the Riverwood uh, shops over in Dillsboro. Uh, a couple of uh, long-time good potters uh, there in Dillsboro. And then, of course, uh, uh, a lot of potters that I know are now in the uh, River Arts District uh, over in Asheville. And a lot of people who used to be kind of out in the country somewhere have now uh, uh, moved their studios to the River Arts District for, for cool. that exposure. So. So any other shout outs you want to make? Any uh, social media you want to mention? Anything? Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned the different drummer pottery, uh, com. Uh, also crotdrum.com. That will take you. It, it's a sub page of uh, different drummer pottery, but it's specific to the drums. And we have demo videos and some tutorials for our personal playing style that, we, uh, that we've come up with. Uh, as well as uh, you know, follow us on uh, Facebook and Instagram, the different underscore drummer underscore pottery. And uh, we often make updates there. Anything we're working on, anything new, uh, we're going to talk about it there first. And, uh, um, and if a new firing is out, we'll, we'll, uh, we always announce whenever new work is, is out there. So. Yeah, we, we fire the kill about every three to four weeks. So we, we want to get the message out when there's a new batch of pots uh, coming right. out of the kill. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for being on my show. Uh, and be sure to let, let us know. We'll, we'll put you out there every time we get a chance. Great. And we'll promote thank it out, so keep it out there. You know, everybody that's listening, you can go to gatewaytothesmokies.fun to find out more about this podcast. I have some links up there. I got the, like I said, I have uh, Terry's book up there uh, and a couple other books related to the show about the original woman that founded uh, the Southern Appalachian um, Guild. Um, and now, I, you know, we, um, I, wanna, I want you to imagine something. Imagine a place evocative, evocative of motor courts of the past, yet modern and vibrant with a chic Appalachian feel. A place for adventure and for relaxation. Imagine a place where you can fish in a mountain heritage trout stream, grill the catch on the fire, and eat accompanied by fine wine or craft beers. 
Imagine a place with old time music and world cultural sounds. There is no other place like the Metal Ark Motel in Maggie Valley, North Carolina, nestled in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park area. We are the starting point for all your adventures. In fact, your Smoky adventure, Mountain Adventure starts with where you stay, the Metal Ark Motel. So I want you to remember that uh, takeaway, if nothing else. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm really promoting the gate, the Smokies as a place to come. And I actually have a, a, a site called Smokies Adventure. And that's plural Smokies, I-E-S, adventure.com, which is dedicated to publishing all sorts of information and listings about the Smokies. And that's both Western North Carolina and East Tennessee. We have an emphasis on outdoor recreation, outdoor life, cultural events, you know, crafts, arts, um, weddings, adventures. And then we provide information about lodging and entertainment and events and conventions and honeymoons and things like that. And the, the goal is to become the leading information portal for the Smoky Mountains. Um, we also have a Facebook page. Um, you can get to it, facebook.com slash gateway to the Smokies podcast. Uh, I'm also part of the Wear Traveler uh, uh, Network. Uh, we have a uh, we have a, a hub there called Great Smoky Mountains, where Traveler is an 80-year-old magazine here, uh, and uh, we're very proud to, uh, to be on there. And I want to mention that we're on talkradio.nyc, uh, a podcast, a live podcast station with many programs on here. I recommend you sticking around and listening to them. They're great shows. There's one after this about New York, uh, uh, visiting New York, so stick around and listen to that one. And I appreciate it. It's been a great, uh, a great podcast. Thank you guys, and see you in, and see you next time. Listen to this, us next week.